Man, man, I don't know about you guys, but I I get so excited coming in here on Sunday mornings. Um, not only Sunday mornings, but just like Saturday nights, like just just so you have a little insight into my life. Uh, I think I might get like three or four hours of sleep on Saturday night because I'm so excited and and just so ready to get in here and 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 to to see all of your beautiful smiling faces and 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 just to experience the Lord together. It's such a a, a beautiful thing, such a fun thing. And and I, and I think about the fact that we're we're here in this movie theater. And I don't I didn't I was gonna look and see what film was playing on this screen just 12 hours ago. I don't know, maybe it was Ant-Man and the Wasp, or maybe it was, you know, some some kid show, or maybe it was like an adult, like a, like an R-rated movie or something. Who knows? I don't know what was on this screen, but 12 hours ago, this was an entertainment venue, and right now, this is the house of God, right? And nothing is going to stand in the way of the house of God. Come on, somebody, let me know you're with me this morning. Are you guys excited to be here? Are you as excited as I am? I'm not sure. A couple people are. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that some people are. I want to begin this morning by reading the passage in its entirety, um, and then we're going to walk our way back through it. And if you're just joining us for the first time or uh, maybe listening online, then we're walking through First Peter together this summer. We're going through it verse by verse, and we're trying to, to just glean the very most that we can from these passages from this scripture. We want to just try to get everything we can from it. This was a letter that was written to exiles um, that, that were Christians. These are people that were believers in Jesus, and they were kind of spread out and dispersed across Asia Minor. And, and so this letter was written to them, but it was also written to us because we are exiles living on this earth. When we've talked about this, uh, our home is in heaven, right? And so we're exiles here on this earth. We're, uh, whatever your version might call it, we're, uh, we're foreigners, we're aliens, we're exiles. And we've talked about that if you're a believer here today. But really, all of those words really amount to the same thing. We are different. That's what all, that's what all of that amounts to. We are different. We talked several weeks uh, back about ho- living a holy life, a, a set-apart life that's, that's kind of set apart from the world around us. And that means some, uh, some things that we're going to do look and seem odd. That's the nature of who we are as believers. I mean, just think about it. We, we give up valuable sleep, and we come to sit in a room with a bunch of people every Sunday, many of which are not our family or our neighbors or our coworkers, uh, and we come and we sit with, with basically perfect strangers that we wouldn't know had it not been for this place right here. And, and we come and we, we gather with those people every week. That's, that's probably odd to the outside world. We openly share with each other where we are deficient, where we're evil, to be perfectly honest. That would be weird and odd to the outside world. We don't even have to get into the fact that we willingly give a portion of our hard-earned paycheck away and that we allow perfect strangers to come into our homes for small groups. That would be odd to the outside world. And as we talked about last week, uh, what the first century Romans thought about communion, they thought that was pretty weird. They basically thought Christians were cannibals because we talked about eating flesh and blood. We're different. We are different. Believers, we are, look at your neighbor. We are, say we are different. Look at your neighbor. We are different. We need to understand this, church. This is crucial. This is, this is honestly so important to understand that we are different. 
And I want you to maintain that understanding as we read the passage for this morning. Set aside worldly thought. Set aside some preconceived notions. Let's not put up our walls of of gender equality or gender roles just yet. This is the word of God. So let's lean into it and see what, we have, what he would have to say to us. So we're going to start out. This is First uh, Peter uh, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 7 together, and then we'll kind of go back and talk about it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, uh, but let your adorning be the hidden person uh, of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Can we pray one more time, God? We just um, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the text that you've given us. We thank you uh, for the, the living and holy word that speaks into our lives daily. Uh, God, I pray that you would be with us in these moments, that, that as we walk through this text, as we, as we try, to, to try to dissect this and try to understand what you're, what you're trying to say to us here, God, that we would have open hearts, open minds, and that we would receive all that you would be telling us uh, in these next moments. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I said last week <laughs> that we had a difficult topic uh, and somewhat controversial topic as we talked about submitting to authority, as we talked about submitting ourselves to the authority that we may or may not even fully agree with, those that, that, that God has placed in authority over us, um, but, but we said that God's word is clear. Honor those in authority and submit when appropriate to submit. That's a hard topic to deal with. That's what we talked about last week, and it's especially hard in this day and age when everyone has an opinion and everyone, uh, everyone wants to voice their opinion and everyone wants to share their opinion on, on social media or, or wherever, and, and it just it can become a pretty tough, tough situation. But this topic, this passage is a tough one. I mean, it might as well have a fuse coming out of it by its ability to cause people to blow up. It's, it's a tough tough topic, but we're, we're walking through this book together, and I can't just skip over it. In fact, it's one of the things I like about walking through a book of the Bible. It's one of the things I like about going through the text in the way that we're doing it this summer, because then it becomes not about what I think you need to hear, or even what you think you need to hear, but it becomes about what God thinks you need to hear, and I love that. I love that. This passage is unbelievably misunderstood, and honestly, I think it can be abused, but I'm hoping to do my best to tell you what Peter means here. I fear that it probably doesn't matter what I say, though. I'm probably going to hear some differing opinions later. That's okay. So people in our day, they read this. And, 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 and they, from the beginning, would say, this is crazy. I don't believe this. They think this is backwards. It's, it's patriarchal. It's, we've moved past this as a society, have we not? And then, and then I, I, this is what I see people doing. This is what I know people do. And they go and they find someone or some website or some blog or some podcast. And, and, and they want to find somewhere that will explain away what Peter's saying here. 
Peter, you know, Peter doesn't really mean what he's saying. You know what Romans 1 calls that? Paul calls that the suppression of the truth. That's, that's really, that's what he calls that. It's the suppression of the truth. He, sa- he says there are many who twist the scriptures actually to their own destruction. So I want to say this before we dive into the heart of this. You can be a Christian and you can disagree with me about this passage 100%. But I would say that it would be hard to be a happily married Christian and disagree with this passage because by all indications, this is God's plan. By all indications, this is God's plan. So I'm going to start by reminding of the lordship of Jesus because I think that's the crux of all of this. That's, that's the, really the heart of the matter. That's, that's where we have to really get down and understand what's going on. It's the lordship of Jesus. The basic idea of this is the lordship of Jesus. The basic idea is we, we don't follow Jesus because each issue he teaches makes the most sense to us. We follow him because he is lord and his word is sovereign. Right? Turn the other cheek. That doesn't make sense to me. I, 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 that's, that's hard for me to understand. If he had said, punch the other guy in the face, okay, I got you, Jesus. I'm on board with that. I understand. But he says, turn the other cheek. Be willing to hate your mother and father, sisters and brothers. Hate even your own life for the gospel. What? What is this? But we have to recognize that submitting to the lordship of Jesus does not always mean we fully understand what he's telling us to do. I think one day we will understand, but until then, we submit. If you're the type of person that needs to be convinced of each and every individual issue before you will obey, then I would venture to say that you don't really understand the lordship of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come just to give us suggestions for living a life that, that and, and for, for living this life and then, and then he would give us these suggestions and then you would consider them and evaluate them and, and you would get back to him on them and then if you agree and you have no objections then you would put them into practice that's not why he came he didn't come to have a democracy uh, where you vote and cast your opinion for things that you like and don't like for Jesus to be Lord that means you trust him I know a lot of people that claim to love the Bible But you can see that they don't because their attitude toward passages like this one. Their attitude toward certain passages in Scripture. I love the Bible, but there's a couple places where it's a little... Church, the Bible is not Burger King. You don't get to pick and choose what you want in your version of the Word. All right, it comes to us as a, as a package deal. All right, we, we don't get to say what's relevant to us and what's antiquated. It's the word of God. We don't get it our way. We get it the Lord's way, right? This is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And, it, and, and I got to say that if you think that you can do that, then you don't understand the lordship of Jesus Christ. We obey Jesus because he's Lord. All right, I want to set that foundation right away. We don't vote on each individual issue. For some of you, the issue is actually not what we're going to talk about today. It's, it's not this verse, it's not this passage, it's not what we're going to talk about today, it's actually the lordship of Jesus. So you need to decide, is he Lord? And if so, let me encourage you to do what he says. To do what he says, here in the word, to do it. But let me, let me hit on another issue that I think um, people might have with this whole idea. Both last week and this week, the idea of submission in general. This word submit is a tough one. We hate that word. 
I mean, if we're being honest, we as Americans, I believe, have been conditioned and wired to not like that word. We're seasoned by this culture uh, to push and to shove until we get to the top, and we don't have to submit to anyone at that point. That's the dream, right? See, we think of submission as being inferior, being, being less than. We, we think of submission as, as being something that's, that, that's being walked on. But, but Jesus came to say, hey, my kingdom is different. I do things differently. The first shall be the last. The greatest shall be the servant of all. And Jesus himself, he models submission so perfectly, so perfectly for us so that we can see how to submit whenever he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he submitted to the will of the Father. So then I have to say that, that if submission is a big deal in the Bible, all right, we've read about it and talked about it two weeks in a row. Peter and Paul both talk about it, and God has chosen to include the idea in the living word of God, then I think we have to get to a place where we say, okay, either there's something wrong with the word of God and that word submit, or there's something wrong with my heart. If I can't accept that word, if I can't move on that word, if I can't act on that word, then it's, it's either something wrong with God and his word, or there's something wrong with me. So I think we need to maybe do a heart check and figure out, hey, is it, what's going on here? Can I, can I truly understand and, and grasp this idea of submission? Now, to those who doubt what we just read in 1 Peter, or, or you doubt that this is God's plan for marriage, then I would have you consider what a mess marriages are in our culture right now. Just just food for thought. Just take this in. This isn't scriptural. This is just purely anecdotal statistical data. Divorce rate is at an all-time high, about 50%. And by the way, that number is the same for non-Christians and Christians. You know, more and more people are avoiding getting married, getting married altogether. You know, back in the 70s, 72% of adults were getting married. Today, it's less than 50% because people are just saying, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to go that route. I don't want this too much trouble, too much stress, too, much, too many issues. 41% of children are now born out of wedlock. Here's what I would say, church. I think what we're doing isn't working. Listen, I know many of you in this room might be Divorce, maybe some of you had kids before marriage or whatever. The point of what we're talking about is not it's not to beat you up, it's not to shame you in any way. But when we talk about marriage and the trends we see in marriage, I have to believe that there's a better way. There's God's way. And for a lot of you in here, your marriage, maybe your marriage just isn't even healthy. You might not be divorced yet, but you're just two roommates living separate lives under the same roof. Please lean into what Peter has to say in this letter. Some of you, you aren't married yet or, or you're no longer married. Please don't check out on this because above all else, this ultimately is a picture of the gospel. As we walk through this, this is a picture of the gospel, and this is for each one of us. So let's dive right in. Verse 1, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. Likewise, what does this mean? In the same way. If you remember, we've been talking about various relationships and earthly institutions that God has set up. We talked about government. We talked about authority structures, etc. God has two purposes in those, to reveal himself 
and to keep order. That's why he gave us those things, to reveal himself and to keep order. Likewise, in the same way, marriage is an earthly institution. God is set up so that he can reveal himself and provide stability. I'm going to say what I've, I've read in Scripture, and I hope nobody's brought any uh, stones to throw at me. Uh, there is a leadership component that God has given man to play in the home. There is a leadership component that God has given man to play in the home. So while you digest that, I also want you to hear this. This has nothing to do with women not leading in the workplace or in government or in society. It doesn't say women be subject to men. That's not what this verse says. I want you to hear that and understand that. It doesn't say women be subject to men. It says wives be subject to to your husband. This passage and this biblical idea only has to do with the home, the structure and institution of marriage and the home that God has set up. So don't hear me say or misinterpret the word to say that women should not be leaders and should always be subject to men because that's, that's honestly not true. I want to point out that wives are not told to be subject because they are inferior. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, that the, the, he, he, there's no hint of that in this passage, and it's actually later downright denied. Peter says to the husbands, if you remember when we were reading a moment ago, uh, your wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. The promises and privileges of salvation are equal. When God talks about creation of male and female, he says male and female are both, create, both created in the image of God. So there is no element of inferiority. You have to also understand that. Okay. I can see where maybe some of your, your head's going. What about the line about them being the weaker vessel? That's the one that really just gets your hair standing up if you're a lady, right? Weaker vessel. Doesn't that imply inferiority? No, I don't believe that's what that means. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. So this is a hard concept for some people to grasp, but the roles we play do not imply inequality. Let me, let me say it this way. Okay, if I'm playing in a baseball game, and, and there's and an umpire makes a call, I'm supposed to abide by that call, right? That doesn't mean that he's superior to me. He, he's not my superior, he's just there on the field, and his role in that moment is to make the call. In a different context, he may have to submit to me. Let me give you another example, something maybe a little, a little bit easier for you to, to understand. Okay, uh, on most Sunday mornings, and I say most because it's not this Sunday morning. Uh, on most Sunday mornings, Jesse uh, Dixon is in here, and she's our service director. All right, what that means, what that means is is that uh, on Sunday morning, she takes the plan of the production team. She takes everything that the production team and the band has planned and put together. She takes that plan, and and then she uh, actually puts she t she helps make sure it goes into place, and she ensures that everything happens the way it's supposed to happen and in a timely manner. So, so what happens is on a Sunday morning, she is given the authority over the band and the production team, and they all have to submit to her leading. When she says it's time to do something, everybody has to go do that thing. That doesn't make them inferior to her. The roles we play do not imply inequality. There's a submission in the Trinity, okay? You've got one God, three persons. They're all equally God, yet Jesus says that he was submitted to the will of the Father. He says, I only do what the Father tells me. Equal in essence, different in role. You might say, well, 
The guy that I am married to doesn't deserve my submission. That's not the point. It has nothing to do with whether your husband brought you flowers. It has to do with Jesus' command. Your husband may not deserve your submission, church. Ladies, I'm talking to you. Your, your husband may not deserve your submission, but Jesus does. Jesus does. Peter talked about our life being spiritual sacrifices. So if you fall in this boat, you can just think of your submission to your husband as your spiritual sacrifice, your offering to Jesus. All right, before we go on, I want to jump ahead for a second. I want to note the instruction to the husbands. So I, I said we're going to walk through this verse by verse, and we will get to the rest of the verses. But we did, we did this first part on one. I want to go down to verse 7 for just a moment. And I want to hang out there uh, for, for a bit because this kind of goes both ways. And I want to make sure that we hit both of these before we go through the other stuff and then, and then have to come back at the end. So, so it says this, likewise, husbands... You see that likewise, in the same way. Husbands, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. All right, so there's that difficult phrase. This is not weaker in terms of intelligence or even capacities for leadership. All right, this is not weaker in the sense of wisdom or, or anything else. Commentators and scholars, all right, let me say that. Commentators and scholars, not Robbie. Uh, I'm not taking credit for these. They, they, mean, they say that, that, that this word weaker means three things. Number one, they are literally physically weaker. That's one way it can go. The word vessel is used throughout the Bible to refer to the human body. So generally speaking, most husbands can beat their wives in an arm wrestling contest. Now, I've seen some CrossFit ladies that would make me question that idea. Give some husbands a run for their money. But generally speaking, and, and I hope I don't get jumped by a group of ladies at later for saying this, men are physically more powerful than, than their wives. Another thing that they say could, could play into this is they're weaker in their position and their position of authority. Now, we read it earlier, and we haven't discussed it yet. Uh, he's just spent six verses explaining that wives should be subject to their husbands. So positionally, positionally, women are weaker in that sense. He could also mean weaker in terms of their emotional sensitivity. Now, I don't think there's, there's probably not a ton of disagreement about this one on a, on a very general level. But I'm also still going to tread carefully here. Ladies are wired differently than guys. Right? They're just wired differently. I think this, there's an image I have that I think really sums up. I think this sums it up right here. All right? Guys, we're, we're easy. We're one switch on and off. Ladies, you got, I don't even know what all this does. I mean, I know for me, I just hit buttons and turn knobs and I hope things happen. But. Listen, this, this isn't meant to, to be or sound like a bad thing. I know this idea of the weaker vessel, it just, it just rubs us the wrong way because of, you know, women's rights and all this stuff. And we get, we get in the gender roles and equality and, and we, we start thinking about all this stuff. And, 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 and nobody wants to say that. that but but here's, this, is not, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. This is not a slight toward women. I think women are actually able to intuit and feel things that guys are often blind to. When you talk about this emotional sensitivity— any guy that I've ever talked to, if he's honest about his marriage, will say, yeah, my wife is able to pick up on things, nuances, relational clues that I'm typically oblivious to. So if that's the case, think of this word weaker almost in terms of the difference between like a crowbar and a thermometer. All right. A crowbar is used to like pry doors open 
and, and, and pry things off, right? And that's, 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 that's goal. That's, but you wouldn't use a thermometer for that. It would break. It would crack everywhere. Now, a thermometer is able to read all these subtle nuances, able to read things that, that the crowbar couldn't. I mean, I'm not putting a crowbar in my mouth or up my rear end to te- test my temperature. <laughs> but a thermometer can do that. There's a, there's a difference there. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's also maybe kind of the difference between a thermos. I was thinking about this when a thermos and a wine glass. Or I have like a travel coffee cup and, and like a wine glass, right? There's a difference in those. Like my, 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 my travel coffee cup, the, it's full of like day-old coffee and it's laying in the floorboard of my truck and it's crusty and it's gross. But the wine glass is, is the kind of thing that you like keep fine beverages in. It's clean, it's nice, it's sparkly. It's even on the cover of like, you know, the the dishwashing detergent, like they put a wine glass right there, just so you know, this is supposed to be sparkly and clean. Hebrew scholars, they even say that you, you see uh, some different words that are used in the account of how women and men were created. All right, so there are two words that were actually used. When God creates a man, the word there is bra. <clears throat> it's a very guttural language, bra. All right, for women, he uses a different Hebrew word that actually means crafted or designed. God, God fashioned her. So, he says, as the weaker vessel, honor her. Honor here means actually something different than the honor we talked about last week in chapter 2 with the emperor. We said that, uh, last week we said that we were to honor uh, all the people, we were, honored e- we were to honor each other, but we were also to honor the emperor. And so he uses that same word for both uh, so that we understand that even as we honor the emperor, we're honoring the emperor just as much as we would honor all people. And that honor is still less than uh, honoring and loving and fearing the Lord. All right, so that he made that very clear. But the honor that he's using here is actually a little different. Uh, the honor in Greek used here means to prioritize or to prefer. To put her needs first. Husbands, listen to this. Use your position of strength. Any position of authority you have to serve her, not yourself. Like Christ did for both of you. All right, both of you are to preach the gospel to the world and how you relate to each other. The wife by how she submits to the husband and, and the husband by how he serves. So let's put all this together and let's, let's see what all this means. Men, this is, this is what I would say, the culmination of all this. Men, you should never lead independent of your wives. Men, you should never leave, lead independent of your wives. Your leadership was not given to you independent of your wife. You weren't given this role because you make better decisions, contrary to popular belief. And your wife was given to you as a gift by God to help save you, men, from your own stupidity. Some of you can relate. Some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She saved me from my stupidity time and time again. Can I also say this? If you don't consult with your wife consistently, I think you are a fool. Your wife sees things that you cannot see. She is wired differently and invaluable when it comes to decision-making in the marriage. I know for us, Jen and I, we, we've strived to embody this in our marriage, and I can probably count on one hand, maybe even like three fingers, the number of times when I, as the head of the house, have had to say, no, this is what we're doing, because we're in it together. There's, there's mutual love and care and submission 
on both of our parts. By the way, the husband is never told to demand submission from his wife. Never. The wife may be told to submit in Scripture. All right, the wife may be told to submit in Scripture, but the husband is never to demand that, that, that submission. Every New Testament passage that talks about this is written specifically to the woman. It's never written to the man. So this is hers to give, not his to demand. Men, you are to use your position of authority to serve her, not yourselves. So, so when Jen and I uh, disagree, we talk things out. We, we pray, and if we still can't come to a consensus, then th there's a point where I have to decide, is this a situation where I feel like I have to think about the best interests of, best interests of my family and make the decision that she disagrees with? If it's not in the best interest of the family, I am to honor her, serve her, prefer her, prioritize her every time. Let's do a few examples. I want to I make sure you kind of hear what I'm saying. A few examples. This is date night. Can't decide where to go eat. <clears throat> That's a, is, that, is that anybody's problem? You get in the car, date night, can't decide where to go eat? That's the worst. All right, date night. Can't decide where to go eat. Now, she, maybe she wants steak. This is pretty good. But in that moment, maybe, guys, you want, like, conveniently, whatever Greenwood doesn't have to offer. Right? Like, your, your craving is for the one thing or, 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 or whatever, the Mediterranean, just something that isn't here. And you want that thing. How do you decide? Who wins? Easy. She wins. I'm making this easy for you guys. She wins. All right? Uh, think about this. Colors in your house. When we moved into our house six years ago, I made a suggestion on colors. My wife had other ideas. Who wins? Easy. She wins. No brainer. Honor her. Prefer her. We had an orange kitchen and a fuchsia bedroom for two years after that. But I honored her choice. I preferred her. How about this? We have an extra $300 in our budget one month. Maybe get a bonus or something at work. Get an extra 300 bucks. And she wants a new dress, but guys, maybe you want some golf clubs. You can't get both. Who wins? Easy. She wins. She wins. Come on, guys. Because you honor her, because you serve her, because you prefer her, because you prioritize her. Okay, maybe you don't play golf. Let me bring it home to where pretty much I think, I think all guys and, and all ladies can relate to this situation. I want to go out with the guys, but she has something else that she wants to do and needs me to stay home with the kids, and she's not being unreasonable. Who goes? This is easy. She goes. Serve her. Honor her. Prioritize her. But let's say something huge, all right? Something life-altering for the family, a spiritual headship situation. Here's one. A guy wants to go into the mission field. He tells his wife, here's what I think we should do. Here's what I feel like God's leading me to do. Here's, the, here, here's, here's where I think this is heading. You guys pray about it. But then maybe she disagrees. And maybe she has valid reasons for disagreeing. As the man, you can't demand her submission. But wife, at the end of the day, you're to be subject to him. This is what scripture tells us. 
You say, but I disagree. You know what? Submission implies disagreement. It, would, it wouldn't be submission if, if you agreed with everything you were talking about. Then it would just be agreement. Submission implies a little disagreement. And ultimately, he's the one who's going to have to answer to God for his decisions in the way that he led his family. Let him answer to God. Tony Evans, he's a great pastor and a speaker. He says this. I've always loved this phrase. He says, spiritual leadership is God telling the woman to duck so he could punch the man. I've always loved that, that quote from him. Husbands across the room are thinking about the time or times where there was a situation where they felt strongly about something, and they brought it to their wives, and their wives shot it down, and they, they argued and it never happened, and you're, you're realizing there was no submission there. And maybe you're even getting a little angry about it. Maybe you're even starting to nudge your wife, like, hey, you remember that time? You didn't, you didn't do what I said, and I, you should have submitted. And, and, and you see, pastor said submit. Let me say this, and, and then we're going to look at the rest of the verses, I promise. Pastor uh, J.D. Greer said, spiritual leadership is not a license to do what you want to do, but empowerment to do what you ought to do. This is, this is for you men. Spiritual leadership is not a license to do what you want to do, but empowerment to do what you ought to do. Guys, I think we have to recognize the right times that we ought to do something. Listen, church, I will lose a thousand arguments. I will honor her in a thousand decisions so that I can speak with authority into the right ones. Instead, there are guys that speak with authority into the wrong ones and that causes damage in the marriage and in the relationship. So I hope we've, I hope we've hit that pretty well. Let's get back to the text. Uh, Likewise, lives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Could a man or a woman be won to the Lord without the word of God? I think yes. You see in this verse, Peter's talking about the wives that have unbelieving husbands, which they are still called to be subject to, by the way. And the women are, le- are learning and they're attending these Christian meetings at this particular point in time. They're attending these Christian meetings that husbands could and, and likely would not go to, even if they could. But they couldn't go to these meetings. They wouldn't go to these meetings. So the women were learning things. And then they would come home and they would live it, live it out as an example. Uh, the, the men would see that the ladies are obviously different. And God can use that. It reminds me of the story that, that I just mentioned Tony Evans, a pastor. Uh, it reminds me of a story that he said... Um, about his parents. He tells this story. When he was 10, his dad came to know the Lord and was on fire, became an instant evangelist. He said, his, he said his mom didn't like his dad before he became a Christian and certainly didn't like him after he became a Christian. And so there was a lot of strife, a lot of hardship in the home. And, and, um, and for an entire year, his dad continued to be kind to and pursue his wife, prayed for her, respected her boundaries and her beliefs. And after about a year, she came to him in tears and wanted to know why Every time she was rude to him, every time she made fun of him, every time she pushed him away, he was still kind and loving. And in that moment, she realized that she wanted what he had. And what a, what a special thing for, for this 10-year-old Tony Evans to, to just see and witness with his parents. So you can. You can win somebody over without even the word of God, just with action. Word of God helps. Actions do speak pretty loudly. Married couples, your actions, I want you to understand this and know this, your actions preach the gospel to each other and to the world around you. 
as a married couple, your actions preach the gospel to each other and the world around you. Let's look at two more verses. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, uh, be, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Okay, so some fundamentals would have uh, used this to say that the passage tells women how to dress and encourages them to be plain and subdued in their fashion choices. That's one way to take it. Others say that it cannot be, uh, it cannot be a prohibition on braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry because then that would also mean that it prohibits wearing clothes. And, and obviously we have to wear clothes because we live in a society where clothing is not optional. So what it means is this. Here's what I'm going to take. Here's what I'm going to give you this, ladies. Uh, there is a way that the world tells you to be beautiful, all right? And that the world tells you to be beautiful externally, Beauty, clothing, certain body type, makeup, hair. You're taught to feel like these things give you power and significance. But Peter says there's a beauty that is sweeter and better. And the good thing about this beauty is it doesn't fade. It's imperishable. I love that word. It's imperishable. If there is a Christ-like beauty in you ever deepening that goes on forever, you won't need the physical beauty so badly. This is great. Do you see what Peter's done? He's applied the doctrine of the resurrection even to our physical beauty. I've mentioned before that, that evangelicals have a hard time really thinking about the res, how the resurrection fits into their Christianity. We get the cross. Jesus died for our forgiveness. But the resurrection, I mean, we really only talk about it maybe once or, or twice a year. Easter, obviously, we talk about it on Easter. We know that it kind of proves that Jesus told the truth. But you know what Peter does is he builds this entire letter on the resurrection. He wants you to see everything through the resurrection, even your physical beauty, because because of the resurrection, you have an imperishable beauty growing in you that exudes from within and will go on forever, so you don't need to build your identity and your hope on a firm body or on a, a nice wardrobe. Verse 5. For this is, how, this is how the holy women who hoped uh, in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear uh, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter gives us a little example here from the Old Testament. He gives us, uh, just like I gave some examples earlier, some things. He's just kind of giving us an example. Uh, this is Sarah. She honored and submitted to the leadership and spiritual guidance of Abraham. Uh, and then here's what I want to do uh, in closing. I want to hit verse 7 one more time. Likewise, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, I want you to hear this last part, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We've already hit this verse at length, but there's an interesting phrase that I see here, and I want to encourage you with, men, when you honor your wives, your prayers will not be hindered. It's a pretty drastic statement. Your prayers to God could be hindered because you are out of fellowship with your wife. Here's the idea. The idea is this, is, is when you approach God in prayer, uh, presumably it's because you need something. Most often, that's, most often when we approach God, it's because we need something. And, and, even, and even if we don't like direly need something, we're still going to ask God because, hey, we're there, so we might as well. All right, so, so you approach God because you need something. And, and we view prayer in those times as, as us coming from a, power, a position of powerlessness, 
right? That God is all powerful and we are nothing. And so we're asking God, we're, we're, we're reaching up and, and just trying to call on his power. Well, men, let me say this. If you've used your position of power in your marriage to serve yourself and not your wife, why would you think God would use his position of power to serve you? Don't let your prayers be hindered because you're out of fellowship with your wife. So let's do this. I want to do this over this next song. Uh, I want to give you two options to respond. Number one, if you're married, I would love for you to pray together. I would love for you to pray together. Maybe as a couple, you need to repent. Maybe you need to, to recalibrate your relationship and ask for a, a fresh start. Maybe things are great. Maybe your marriage is rocking. I still want to encourage you to pray together. You can, you can stand and pray. You can, you can just turn toward each other and pray. If you're not sitting next to each other, you're welcome to move to one another. But I want you to spend some time and thank God for one another during this next song. If you're not married in the room, I would ask that you would give the married couples their space to talk and say what they need to say. But feel free to reach a hand in their direction and to pray over them aloud. As you see them and as you know their names, just pray for them and their marriage. Just lift them up. Cover their marriage in prayer this morning. And then lastly, Jordan and Hannah are going to lead us in a classic song, so feel free to, uh, to join in when you're finished praying and worship. Don't let this moment pass by. Take the time to pray with your spouse. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be in the middle section. I'd love to do that. I'd love to pray with you. But let's use this moment. Let's, let's use these next moments just to, to lean into God and lean into the Holy Spirit and what he would be saying to us. Let me pray over you, and then I'm going to give you a chance to respond while we sing this song. God, I thank you so much for the institution of marriage. I thank you for what you've uh, created. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such a, a powerful thing. It's such a great example of the gospel. I pray, God, that this morning marriages would be strengthened. I pray this morning that, that eyes would have, would have been opened, not by anything that I said, but hopefully what you said through your word and through the spirit moving and working in this place. God, be with us in these next moments as we worship you together, as we pray, as we seek your face. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.